We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It's a Monday edition of your favorite podcast, All Eyes on Cleveland with Brad Ward, OBR Film Breakdown with Jake Burns. We're coming together. We're making it happen. Blue Wire production, OBR production, all those things. I hope your Monday is going well. And this podcast catches you and your family well and you in a great mood. And we are going to talk about what we just witnessed in these conference championship football games. One great game, one lousy game. And then also at the end, put a little Browns tie on this thing as we do because we want to talk about the team that matters to you most, we will be reviewing the defensive line, which if you are a person that cannot stomach difficult discussion, we'll let you know when you need to leave because it is not a pretty discussion, Brad. It's not a pretty discussion. Brad Ward is here with me. What's up, Brad? How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, You know, enjoyed these games. Uh, What's the second one? More than the first one. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, some things to take away from these games. So we'll talk about it for sure. Well, let's let's dive in, man. The first one is the 49ers game. I really had high hopes for this game, even though... It's still it still feels like the 49ers with Brock Purdy. This has got to get itself worked out over time. Can we get the last really good quarterback Kyle Shanahan had was in his late peak Matt Ryan. He takes him to an MVP trophy. I just want to see Kyle Shanahan with a really great quarterback at some point. Like I need it, Brad. I need it. I yeah. need to like the people to understand how good he is because he took and we'll get into that discussion in just a moment here. A lot of heat for the way this whole thing shook out. But this game, which, again, I was excited about because a lot of really great schematic stuff, smart minds running the Philadelphia system, smart minds, obviously, San Francisco, both sides of the football. And again, for Philly, too, with Jonathan Gannon, D.C., is a potential head coach here, a Cleveland San Ignatius grad. It's amazing. The amount of Mount Union, John Carroll, Northeast Ohio connections in the NFL right now. I still, I don't even think it's being covered well enough, Brad. Like the Kelsey brothers, Sirianni's a Mount Union graduate. Um, yep. On top of that, you have like again, we're talking about uh, Gannon is a, a San Ignatius grad. Um, there's more things that come into the Northeast Ohio element uh, on top of the Kelsey brothers, who are going to be the the focal point, Brad, of the Super Bowl week. Uh, pre- I mean, like it's just it's it's actually kind of bananas, man. It is, and you like you hear Sirianni and even other guys too. Like, how many guys at the NFL level will, when you ask them, like, who they uh, their mentors are, or who affected them most? How many of them say Larry Karras? Right? Like, it's yeah, it's insane. Kind, like, 
he has like uh like his handprints on so many coaches uh it's incredible so uh, special dude stuff. i i, yeah. I went up for oac media day i, I didn't get recruited by mail email out of high school I wasn't right i wasn't good enough but i did end up being okay in college and i went up before my senior season to media day and he doesn't know me that well obviously he knows me i played against him a few times spends 20 minutes talking to me out of nowhere just like the nicest guy who like i'm like this guy's a legend has no business talking to this you know very average quarterback from uh, a, co- a conference school and it's like th- i was blown away and i'm like i see what everyone loves about him and and yep. obviously translated he ended up giving it off to his son and they're still doing really well and um yeah, yeah f- f- fascinating stuff and siriani and a, a mini like you're going to hear more of these guys connected to northeast and ohio is like the football melting pot of the world man like brandon staley's a dayton guy like there are all of these connections to ohio and maybe this is my naivety here brad but like i don't hear many other like singular places having this many people that impact nfl big time stuff like i don't hear like oh, this louisiana city or this um wisconsin like it's like the the region of northeast ohio football is bananas and what it's producing on the coaching level and obviously the kelsey brothers among many other things what they're able to produce on a playing level uh, and Mount Union again, it's got a wide receiver who it seems like is going to at some point here make it make his way into the NFL. He's a real 30 touchdowns this last year, bananas yeah. season for this kid. So okay, carrying yeah. on the Garcon and uh, obviously um, Cecil Shorts were both yeah. were both guys that came out of Mount Union. So can't ignore it. But anyway, listen, this game's 31 seven. It's, it's over early, Brad. Like you get a Philly drive touchdown. So they go the first um, the first I'm trying to look at the playlist to come up with the possession numbers here, but. The uh, the first drive ends up going downfield. I think they take. I don't know if this is the opening kick, but it was eleven plays, sixty six yards, a touchdown. It was the opening kick, and then the mm-hmm. football goes back to San Francisco. I think four six plays in. It looks mm-hmm. like here they come off play action, and Hassan Reddick turns the corner. Right as Purdy's getting ready to throw, ball arm gets hit as he's torquing the arm back and into the pendulum moment to swing it forward. Ball comes out in real time. Thought he threw it, but obviously when you zoomed in, it was like it got lodged, dislodged, and then the slingshot of the arm forward knocked it mm. forward. But that was it. He was done. He couldn't play. He's on the sideline, can't throw. Clearly, some elbow discomfort. And like you thought, all right, the 49ers had this really, really long shot chance with Josh Johnson, who's played about for every NFL team. But <laughs> uh, at that moment, like, you know, it's a long shot, long shot. He actually ends up going seven of 13 for 74 yards. They get a McCaffrey touchdown to get it to 7-7, but then the Eagles rattle off. I think the Eagles rattle off uh, 28 unanswered points to win. Um, uh, not 28. It would be, my math is correct, 24 unanswered yeah. points to win, 31-7. So, you know, Johnson leaves. I don't know, was he leave like early third quarter? I can't remember exactly the moment he left. He gets a concussion. Yeah. And then Shanahan gets drugged through, like, people were mad because he doesn't, he doesn't trot out. I guess some 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 other position player like a Jawan Johnson who was a wide receiver for them. They didn't. Who was a actually came out of college. He was a, a five star quarterback recruit. But like I I think at some point, hey man, we're just sort of fucked. Like we're Seriously. we've run through four quarterbacks. You're gonna tell me you want me? I'm just trying to get Mister Irrelevant seventh round pick. Brock Purdy ready to face this Eagles dynamic defense. And then also 
kind of a little bit of time with Johnson, getting him ready if a backup situation. Oh, you want me to spend time with some non-quarterback getting them ready to play? Do you understand that if they stick that guy out there, he has no idea of the quarterback instructions from the playbook. He has no clue what he's He's going to get hurt, and he's going to hurt other people. So it's just it's crazy, man. Like people are trying to bag on Shanahan, and I could not be more annoyed with this like, well, just throw someone out there and have them th- like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. They have no, Purdy that's handing off the rest. Of the- yeah, they have Purdy handing off the rest of the game, and that's just how it is. Like their season's just over. What are you going to do, man? Right? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Talk me off the edge the other way if that's the case, Brad. Uh, no, I think you're absolutely right, and I, 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 you know, I guess I didn't see. You know, I didn't really look for it either. But that's crazy that people are blaming him for that. I mean, what do you expect from the guy, right? I mean. That's four guys down this year, right? Um, or you're four deep at that point when Josh Johnson yeah. is out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, my guy Juszczyk was listed as their emergency uh, QB. I thought he might come in, but you said Jennings had some experience. I don't know. But but to yeah. your point, you can't prepare for that, right? Like, like you at the, in this game, like this game, it's so game plan specific you're trying to get purdy ready to win this enormous game that's bigger than you know he ever thought he'd be playing in at this point um and then trying to pivot to getting johnson who as you mentioned was bad but still like they weren't the same offense with him and clearly but he was at least able to complete some passes right um but it still even felt like when he was in like it was over to me like oh yeah even that when, game was that shifted all everything when Purdy yeah. left and couldn't come back in it was yeah. over but not in the sense that you couldn't pretend it wasn't over right correct like, you know correct. what i'm saying but yep. that's the misconception that drives me nuts is like hey just stick so-and-so at quarterback and go hey he doesn't know what he's doing there yeah he knows yeah, that's that if not a reality concept, if, he's, if he's playing z he has a an arrow route or what but he doesn't know the progress it's like it's not Madden, brother. It's not backyard football. You can't <laughs> just not. think that way. So, yeah, yeah you're not. mad maybe because you had a bet on Shanahan's team and a prop on a player or something. Like, that's just yeah. not how football works, though. And you could be like, well, then they should just kneel it. No, they're still running the ball. They're doing creative run things. They were doing reverses. They were doing handback counters. Like, they were trying. But at some point, you're just fucked. Sorry for the they, language. You just yeah. run out of bodies, man. And it And it's like... You cannot sit here and, and, and be a functioning uh, quality fan and understand, like, try to say, well, they should have prepared for this. There is no prep. The NFL got rid of the old third quarterback rule where you yep. could bring on a third quarterback without punishing the number of guys. They've got to go back to that. We cannot, Brad, have this some scenario happen. where yeah. this happens. It's just a, it's a to get to the penultimate weekend of your football season, which is this is because mm-hmm. you get two games, you get a whole day's worth of viewership. To have that happen sucks. So, I really think that I at least hope there's some rethinking to that in the offseason. But from the other side of it, like I didn't even take much from Philly after that. It gets to 14 seven late in the second quarter. Yeah, they were playing certainly just very, very cautiously. They took some shots downfield like um, A.J. Brown had a couple deep shots, but they really weren't going after this thing aggressively. They just knew that they could wear down San Francisco over time. They get I mean, the game totally swings, as you know. They get that 13-yard Miles Sanders touchdown, and then they get a – I think Johnson just like literally dropped the football in the gun catch, and he, he ends up not recovering it. They score again with 16 seconds, 21-7. The game's over. So 
you know, they weren't, I mean, outside shot, but that was, that was it at that point. The the one thing I would take away from the Eagle side of things is just that they, I mean, they're still facing probably what many people considered potentially the best defense, you know, one of the best defenses in the NFL, and they're still getting pushed off the line of scrimmage. I mean, they had the uh, audacity to line up twice in a row and QB sneak it into the end zone from like three yards out, and they got generous push on both plays. So, I mean, their offensive line is, is, is elite, right? Like, and, and their run scheme and the way they run the ball and, and with Gainwell and, and Sanders and, and hurt and, uh, yeah, hurts. It's just, uh, it's a, uh, a, a whole different kind of run game that you have to prepare for. And even this, this 49ers defense, which is, you know, highly touted, didn't really have an answer for it. Yeah, Ted Wynn, who does a great job covering West Coast football uh, on The Athletic, actually put out a really good series of tweets with some film explaining how the 49ers' defense was manipulated. The, the Eagles went to four strong and did a great job of attacking weak zone with a, with actually a concept, 19 Wanda Whip, which was a concept that I put uh, into our, our post this week about a thing I'd like to – Browns to steal from to steal from, from them from yeah. the Eagles and they did a great job running that's basically a center pull off of a quick pin and you get an extra body to the point of attack they ran that for that that 13 yard miles Austin or miles Austin uh miles Sanders touchdown as black from that last from the past there for Browns fans um yeah. that Sanders touchdown it was they used it then they went and used a counter off of it the same whip up front center pull but then as the 49ers rolled down Hafanga who Again, shout out to my guy, Hawaii Browns, who uh, Mike Krupka, who was all over Hafanga in that draft, was just raving about him. What a stud. He gets to the fourth round. That guy is unbelievable. Literally, he is. he's slowly becoming this generation's Troy Palomalo. He is like the closing speeds bananas and the parallels between is. his background and his college days and where he went. It's kind of uncanny, but they were rolling him to the weak side. So if they went for strong, we're going to bring the backside safety to the, to, to take advantage of that or to help us with numbers. Cause there's only three to the side. Well, they did a nice job. Then they got blown up on it. They came back, put the back away. So it was again, three by two. Now with the back away from the trip side and ran the power version of that with the quarterback running it. So we're going to kick out Hafanga. We're going to whip Kelsey up underneath it. And they ended up popping it for a long run there to close the game out. So, um, yeah. Fun little look. Football film analysis is Ted at FB underscore film analysis. Ted's great. So um, that game, 31-7, not much to it. And it's a disappointing one because I thought it could have been a schematic like like Nirvana in, in that sense. So I was bummed yeah. by that. But we got it all in the second game, man. We got it all. Um, well, one last thought on yeah. that real quick. I would just say, and I tweeted this out real quick, Jake. It, you know, for the Eagles to do – to win a Super Bowl – in what, 17, 18? What was it, 17? Um, uh, and- it was the 2018 Super Bowl after the 2017 season. Okay. That was my so son. Seven- my son was literally born the day they were in that Super Bowl. That was okay. February 4th of 2018, ironically. Well, happy birthday. Never, never forget it. I'll never forget Coming that. I can't, it's, it's, it's seared into my brain. Nick Foles, all of it. Tom Brady's fumble. You, know, you can't forget those yeah. days. Uh, so that. You know what? F- how, what? How old's your son turning? Uh, coming up, he turns five. So, yeah, right. So days. five years ago, right? Yep. Five years ago, I wrote six in my tweet, so I was off. But uh, you know, five years ago, they go win the Super Bowl, uh, and then new coach and almost an entirely new roster. I think maybe Kelsey and the kicker, are like the only holdovers from that roster. I want to say, 
Like um, Fletcher Cox was still a part of that. There, okay. There's some there's a couple minor hang around guys. But yeah, like the Malcolm Jenkins, the yeah. um Jordan Hicks. There's a lot of pieces of that that were really important. I'd be, I I would imagine Lane Johnson was on that team. Kelsey was on that team. Um but yeah, I, think I know Kelsey was. Like it. I think you're right about yeah. Cox too. Uh but yeah, so a couple guys, right? Stragglers mm-hmm. uh hanging over from that. But uh, basically, you know, new regime, new coach, not new regime, new coach, completely new roster, basically, with the exception of a couple, and they get back in five years. That's pretty remarkable and is a testament to their organization for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt that the way they've quickly on the fly, the way they ended up making some of those trades, getting Devontae Smith, getting A.J. Brown, also pulling off some futures. Like they have a great pick coming up in this draft because they conned the Saints into taking a trade and they still got Jordan Davis. They have done, if not, but it all comes down to this. They got the right coach at the right time. And they got a second round quarterback, Jalen hurts. Who's turned into a stud. That's it. I mean, if they don't get Jalen hurts and it works out the way it's going, not that Jalen has like definitively finished what he started, but if they don't get him there and they don't end up working out him being this quarterback, he is with Sirianni, right? Um, None of this, none of this matters. So it comes down to the quarterback. Right. And I think that, that's a large part of what we would discuss, <laughs> obviously, with the Browns. Like, the they're, they're, Browns sure. have a pretty good roster. Now, I think that the Eagles have a fantastic roster. It's less whole, blah, blah. But the, the Sean Watson plays really well. You're having this discussion. He can go to these similar places. So that's a different thing here nor there. But, again, great job by them retooling a lot of things on the fly. Some picks have worked out. They've done a good job up front, um, letting guys grow um, and becoming better. And, and, obviously, they've hit on some some – Uh, like Darius Slay's trade, like they've done some great things. Um, But again, it comes down to Jalen Hurts is pretty dang good for them with what they like to do. So yeah, good point. Good call out. They've done a good job there. And there's certainly, and you know, you could take some solace again with like, where did Andrew Barry train lot? Well, he trained with them. He was with Philly. He knows their thought processes. Hopefully those things start to become something that ends up mattering. So the other game on the slate, um, you know, is, is this, this wild, wild Bengals game. It's, there's so many talking <laughs> points, Brad, it ends 23, 20. Um, you know, we're not necessarily league wide breakdown people. So we'll just kind of cover it more from a Bengals side. Cause they matter more to us than the Chiefs side. I thought Mahomes was fine, clearly bothered by the foot, but I mean, he puts up three twenty six and two touchdowns. He did have that really, uh, really gnarly fumble that, that gave Cincinnati life where he just bobbled that ball, taking it back to his shoulder. That was that. Never was seen that before. Never yeah. seen it before where untouched, just, I mean, just slipped out of his hand. I, I mean, I was thinking, at the time, I'm thinking, are you you got to be kidding me. Because at the time, it seemed like the Bengals were starting to get all the breaks, and then that happened, and I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, but, yeah, I've never seen that before, uh, especially with him. Right? Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I mean, that's that's kind of like... When that happens, you thought it's like an it'd be like that kind of moment, I guess. Like it just yeah. it was weird. But again, the, the, this was just a, a, a battle back and forth. I mean, when you look at it, the Bengals went for three oh nine. They did not run it well. Burrow's their leading rusher, four carries, thirty yards. On the other side, Isaiah Pacheco, um, who I needed to run for forty seven, damn him, ten carries, twenty six yards. Like they're really the rushing yards seventy one and forty two, and Cincinnati had thirty quarterback run yards. Mixon ran it eight times for 19 yards after really what they did to Buffalo was dominate them in the run game. So, um, again, a lot of talking points. I didn't think Joe Burrow was very good in this. He was he had some big throws. He had some some nice efforts, but 
he was sort of okay. I thought the better quarterback play won this game. Burrow went 26 to 41, 270 touchdown, two interceptions. I thought his his first interception was ugly, left it too far inside, and especially it was 13-3 at that moment. Boy, I thought that game was going to be over quick. Kudos yeah. to Cincinnati for battling back. His second interception is sort of like the the double-edged sword of what he did with Jamar Chase on that fourth down, Brad. You yep. throw it up into double coverage. Give I I listen again, I'm fine with it. Give Burrow I give Burrow some credit on some of those for for giving T and Jamar chances to go make plays, but that's the sword you live by. Sometimes those things are going to bite you. Um, and Brian Cook, the second round kid out of Cincinnati, I think we got a comment. I got, and I was thinking this at the time, like the amount of talent on that Cincinnati team. When we look back on it, between Sauce and like Jerome Ford, who's in Cleveland, who we think is going to be a really good player. Like you go to Alec Pierce, you go to Tyler Scott, the kid that's going to come out this year. You go, you know, point. Desmond Ritter, like. They have talent all and Cook is the safety. You know, like I said, Sauce was another, I mean, like there's just a lot of dudes. There was the Kobe Bryant kid that came out of there. Yeah. It was a really talented group. And um, you know, so so again, that second intercept is a great play by Cook. He's just really gets his head around, doesn't interfere, gets the tip. And it's not just a tip that, that knocks it down, it tips it like I think he tipped it knowingly that he could tip that to the to his, his support guy. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, yeah, I mean, I just didn't uh, – listen, I thought the better quarterback won that game. I know it, it, there's some – obviously a lot of a lot of things in between that, but I thought, you know, I thought I thought Patrick was better. Did you, you agree with that? I, I do. I You know, I think that he did a better job of, I guess, managing the game in certain spots. You know, Burrow, who is younger and has been in these situations less times, not by a ton, but, you know, less times probably in, in the NFL – um, and generally does a really good job managing the game. But to your point, like, you know, the touchdown where he throws it to Higgins and he just goes up in double coverage and catches it, like, like that's what he was trying for on that second interception. He had another turnover-worthy play really early in the game where McDuffie dropped an easy one uh, that probably could have been a third pick and really would have turned the game around. So he, he definitely had, uh, you know, turnover-worthy plays and some bad interceptions there. Um but that's what they had to do really in this game is he really had to put the ball up in some situations like that and just hope that his guys go win. They do a lot of that, Jake. Uh, I mean, for them, a lot of it is about the Jimmys and Joes more than the X's and O's, right? The, that's what the Bengals kind of depend on a lot of times. Is just yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you can blame them because they're, they're no. Jimmys and Joes are are tremendous guys. Yeah, yeah, special guys. So. Um, I'm with you, and and sometimes, like I said, though, that that both teams are paid, and sometimes those guys are paid yeah. to make plays that they end up making. And not that I thought Burrow played bad. I'm not here to say he played bad. They no. just had opportunities to get it done. Two drives in the fourth quarter that that flop, right? Like yep. a pick, and they take a sack on third down. And shout out to Chris Jones, who is he is really special. Two sacks in this Amazing. game. His last sack came off the edge as the Bengals were trying to do it, actually doing a pretty good job of double teaming him when he was inside at three at the three tech. So anyway, the game swings on one big play. I, I, I guess it's a series, Brad third down sack, right? The Bengals had got, they completed that third in like 16. They completed that ball um, up the right sideline, a great throw from Burrow. I'm like, Oh my God, these guys are to really going to go down and kick a field yeah. goal. Yeah. They complete that, but then they get it to third down again, third and six. I think it was relatively uh, a shorter, um, at least I think it was a shorter play, but um, they get it to third and six, end up taking a sack. There is Chris Jones 
yeah. um, lined up at edge actually does a really good job of uh, defeating them off the edge. It was a third and eight apology. So the third and eight, they, they end up taking that seven yard sack. Now you got to see the all 22, see if Burrow had a chance, but then it was a really bad pump by Drew Chrisman uh, for Ohio state guy. Um, kind of line drivey and, and low line drivey, a nice return by sky Moore, and they Bengals wanted a block in the back. I didn't see it. It was more of just a guy was running there and put his hands up and the dude turned at the moment to run. And I just, I don't hate that. That was, there was some questionable non calls or calls. There was a, there was a third and two hooking defensive pass interference. that was really bad. There was also the, the replay Agreed. of third and nine, the Bengals. I thought the scales tilted Cincinnati or uh, Kansas city a little bit, not yeah. as much as Cincinnati people want to believe, but I do think KC got the benefit of some calls and some scenarios, but that was not one of them. But then, obviously, the, the, the entire thing swings. Kansas City gets it to third and four. Mahomes is going to get the first down, but there were going to be like – it was at the 47-yard line. It's obviously not kicking range yet, and I think they were down to their la- – they were out of timeouts. Yeah. And at that moment, um, I believe they were still they, – they still only had like 16 seconds left. There were not There was not much time, like – no, it felt like this was going to OT. Now, Joseph Asai, who who played a great game, the Texas product, a guy that a lot of us again, Browns Twitter, really liked him as a prospect coming out. And Asai had a nice game. He had some pressures in this one. He had five tackles. It's really tough scene, man, because he he ends up hitting him late, and um, you know, he hits him late, gets called for roughing fifteen yards. Bucker steps up, nails it, forty-five yard field goal right down the middle, as you would presume would happen in that scenario, and. You feel bad for a side, man, because like, you know, it's a dumb play. He can't do it. He's hustling yeah. like crazy. Comes from the backside edge. He's running hard. He plays hard all the time. Makes a terrible mistake. And I don't know if this is just older Jake getting like emotional more. Or something, but when he's crying on the sideline there, I'm just having a hard time watching it because that it's is brutal. It's, it's brutal. brutal, man. Because again, like there's the people that will want to cut him and get rid of him. And what an idiot. Yeah, he made a bad play, man. He he yeah. clearly overstepped his the the out of bounds. It's not a bad call. Like some people are trying to play. It was a bad call. It's not a bad call. It's the right call. No. It was he like the way Patrick barreled into people on the sideline. That was yeah. I mean, like they deserve to be penalized. It could someone got seriously hurt. And Osai got seriously hurt himself. He hyperextended the knee. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it's an even more serious injury, but I don't. know. It just sucks to see a game like that decided with that. And that part of it is the shame. And it's hard to just sit there and watch him cry like that and obviously i think the Bengals. there were some videos of like jermaine pratt is an ex, a really nice linebacker for them like in the tunnel walking into the locker room yelling about can't touch the court and i get it there's a lot of emotion but yeah. it does seem like the Bengals are doing better in the interview phase of of helping joseph out but yeah i mean a guy who overcame like immigration and like bullying from from his early years in the states and yeah, I don't know. I really liked him. I still like him. It's just a, that's a that's just it's that's going to kind of define him early here, Brad. Yeah, it's that and that sucks. You know, you know too many games in the NFL end this way, Jake. Too many games in the NFL week in, week out and especially the, in this week of of the conference, you know, uh conference championship games, but um too many games end with a penalty and a kick. Like just week in, week out in the NFL. And I don't know how to change it or avoid it, but it's just I mean, it's just part of the game, I guess. But yeah. it just seems like so many games every week end with a penalty and a kick, right? Well, a I would ask hit you this. And a I, kick. I think you're right. I think I think you're right. And I saw somebody post a really good question about I don't really enjoy the NFL because it feels like it's this over 
overprotected game who is lacking innovation. Like, and this guy made a great point. Um, it's C- Coach Vass, who's a really smart, really, really smart football mind, does great stuff on Twitter. But he's like, it's an overprotected game that lacks innovation because people aren't willing to take risks anymore. I mean, like, he's like, think about the l- l- latest modern air quotes innovation in the NFL. It's like Vic Fangio's too high. Oh, man, too high. Like, what? Like, you don't get the innovation. But then I ask myself, okay, I'm with you. It is overprotected. To your point, Brad, too many times you see flags that end up deciding games that sucks. But then I think, okay, the college level, I just watched the national championship, and it was a 65-7 to slaughter. How many games of Ohio State's that you watch matter? Three or four a year that really matter? Like, really matter. And I'm like, that's that's why I love this idea of, like, creating mega conferences in college football because people are scared of this idea. I'm like, why would I not want to watch Ohio State play Florida State, Wisconsin, USC, UCL, like I want to watch them play 10 fun. How much fun do you have as a fan when Ohio State plays a big like non-con early game? Like you get together, you cook, you do. Yep. Like those games are awesome. And you want to say, ah, we don't want that many of them. Like we would rather <laughs> only have three of those. Shut up, man. Those, those are fun. But to my yeah. point with you, and I'll ask you this, Brad. Yeah, that part of it sucks. I get I get the flag stuff to overprotect. You can't believe it, but and, but they're all close and they're really fun. Like the they drama are. around them and the creation of close game. Like the, the first game to the second game is the example to me. You would yep. have more first game types than the second. I I prefer like the drama, although it's infuriating. And if we, if we probably asked a Bengals fan right now, they, they'd probably prefer it the other way. But like <laughs> just the drama of the NFL when it's right is unparalleled. It does suck that officials have a hand in it. And we watched it last night with LeBron in, 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 in Boston and NBA officiating, just blowing mm. a horrible last night. It's just, but it's just the way it is. Right. And I think that it's funny, Brad, my, my wheels were spinning with this stuff. Cause I was thinking about too, this is why baseball is trying to become the sport that takes the, the human element out of it. Right. And they're trying to say, what if we just eliminated the umpires getting stuff right and wrong? And, and then this was what? this was the sport, Brad, where none of the officials ever matter. And it's just the guys on the field. This is the angle for baseball to get back in and take. But, but it is like the, you cannot eliminate NFL officials and you can't eliminate NBA officials. It's too hard. So like it's funny, too. Is, it's just the way you got to go. Right. I don't know. Man. Yeah, it is. It's funny, too, because like I'm totally against getting away, uh, rid of uh, uh, the human element of baseball because I mm-hmm. feel like umpires are such a, like, they're, you're taking away the nuance of the game, I think, a little bit of, of like, you know, the strike zone, the pit, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's funny, though, because part of it. I stumbled onto, <laughs> we're getting on the weeds here, but I yeah. stumbled not too long ago over the, like, it was in, like, September, no, October area when baseball's finishing up their season. I was like, I want to go back and torture myself and watch the 1997 Game seven. Oh my gosh! I just wanted to see. I I've I've really never done it, but I was like, I want to see some of these moments and like relive. Because I was so young, Brad. I was I was eight years old, man. Like I don't remember it that well, and I've never spent time going down that rabbit hole because I was crushed as a little kid. But I'm like, holy shit! This strike zone. This dude is calling strikes in the other batter's box, and it's like, are we sure this is good for the sport? Because if yeah. this happened today, people would be losing their freaking mind. So yep. I'm with you. I don't like the idea of the like the people not mattering, but also we get really mad when the call is wrong. So you can't have your cake or your eat. What's the phrase? The correct way to say it is eat your cake and have it too. 
you can't is, have is it that, that the way. correct way i think that's I, the correct way people say, typically say have your cake and eat it too that's what i say but you can right you can have your cake and then eat it too but you can't eat your cake then have your cake this is late night podcasting example to, number to 742 be honest, Jake, this that's that that saying has never made sense to me and you know, this should say something a little bit about my personality, but I've had a lot of women in my life say the, that phrase to me, and yeah. uh, I'm like, listen, I want my cake, and I want to eat it. And I think you can have your cake and eat it, too, but you can't <laughs> eat your cake and then have it, too, because it's gone. You've consumed said cake, so I don't know. Anyway, I remember there was a fun discussion on that. This is, again, we're out in the weeds, but it's it's late, and I don't care. It's the off-season, Brad. There was right. a really good TV show. Um, uh, where they uh, Paul Bettany played the Unabomber, and they did a um, series on hunting down the Unabomber and how they figured out who he was and tracked him and ended up catching him. Was oh, I saw that. I forensic it. linguistics, which is yep. a fun angle for me. I studied English in college, and they caught him. And a part of what he wrote was similar. And they're like, "Well, the the correct way to actually say that phrase is this way." That's what yeah. it's kind of stuck with me. But anyway, I remember that um, they because they, yeah. they caught in his uh, he wrote it down. Right. And he wrote yep. it uh, this the correct way. But nobody ever says it the correct way. And that's how they identified. That was that's interesting. I, I watched that special. Yeah, it was a good. One. It was a really it was a really good show. Um, yeah. All right. So closing up on this game, 2320 um, fun Super Bowl in terms of I think personally um, the two best teams um, make it out of the playoffs. I think that Cincinnati would have had a terrible time blocking Philly and Trevor Sigmo did a great job. It was with pro yes. football focus illustrated this. And it was like exactly what I was thinking, which is Cincinnati would get eaten alive up front. And I don't think it would have been a great game, but this game from a uniform colors perspective should be fun. I like that. And then um, I really hated the San Francisco KC game a years back, a few years back, like the, the clashing reds. I don't like that. It was a great Super really, Bowl, though. It was a great Super Bowl, but I hate the color. I'm really a big fan of like aesthetically pleasing uniform combinations in the Super Bowl. And I like, like, I think the Philly green white pants with the Chiefs white top red bottom is going to be uh, a great Super Bowl. I hope they go that route. Uh, they should, because yeah. I think, I think Philly has the record, uh, right? I think they had the better record. Maybe they didn't. I'm not sure. Maybe they both I, had the I same record. I believe they did have the better record. Uh, let me uh, ask you this before we get off this game and move on because yeah. we are, you know, we did take up some time. But you know, my main takeaway from this game as I was watching it, and I know neither of these teams, right? And, and we know this from experience with the Bengals that they will abandon the run without even making them abandon it, right? Like the first time the Browns beat them, right on Monday Night Football, I remember the big point was that is like they didn't even. Tr- you know, stress the Browns with the run game at all. They just started throwing it all over the field, right? Played right into the Browns' hands. Now, we know they don't want to live with the run game, but to your point, they did do well in the run last week, right, against mm-hmm. Buffalo. Uh, I'll interject real quick. Buffalo's game plan was terrible. They left yes. themselves really vulnerable. Yes. But keep going, keep going. Okay. And then on the other side of the ball, we know that Kansas City doesn't really want to live with the run game, but they want to give it to Pacheco here and there to kind of offset their pass game. And he's explosive. So, you know, they do a lot of stuff where they get him the ball real close to the line of scrimmage where it's it's kind of like a, an extended handoff, right? Like he's he's just there as an outlet sometimes, and a lot of times it's out to the line of scrimmage. But either way, neither team want, really, I don't think, came into this game with the idea of running the ball more than 10 times, and I don't think either team did. 
uh, rushed the ball more than 10 times. What do you take away from that? Because this game feels more like a blueprint of like what AFC football is going to be like for years to come. Uh, so yeah. when we talk about like the Browns going into the offseason and the transformation that they're undergoing with their offense, what does their run game look like in the future? Uh, and is it something that they can take into the playoffs and beat a team like this with in the playoffs? Like, can they still give the ball to Nick Chubb 15 to 20 times and win a playoff game? Well, I think it it's indicative. First, let's track your first part of that. Like, it's a, I know it's a little so, question. So, it's okay. Casey is down. Uh, is up, sorry, 13-6 through the entire first half. They, it doesn't get to 13-13 until the 10-minute mark of the third quarter. So Kansas City only runs design runs to their running backs 15 times, despite being up early or being in neutral situations throughout the entire game. So they said early, yo, man, this isn't working. They ran for 42 yards. Now, I don't know that I would call them committed to it. They wanted to flirt with it. Um, right. But they certainly were not at all thinking we were going to run this game to win. Now, Cincinnati, I understand a bit more why between Mixon and Pirine, they only had 13 carries, right? Because uh, obviously you're down 13 to three early. Um, and then obviously it's 13, six. Now they do score right out of the halftime break and make it 13 all. But then again, that's a neutral script. So, mm-hmm. and again, you could t- to explain the first half, you're still only down, you know, six, three into the mid second quarter. Like they're just clearly neither team thought they could run. Like, I think they tested it early. And they're like, we cannot survive this way. And they were not able to get up. Like KC wasn't able to get up and then sort of control the ground game. And then obviously the Bengals went to try to, you know, balance things out a little bit and they couldn't do anything either. So to me, your point is, is this what the Browns have to do to win? I do. I I think it's quarterback driven, man. I really do. Now, could you be more balanced? I think that that's why I watch the Eagles and I'm really jealous of the Eagles because they have this beautiful inside zone RPO quarterback run element off of it that is so hard to defend and they run so efficiently because of it i see what the browns could do with something similar also elements from what i think that both the Bengals and chiefs do a nice job of little wrinkles to to popular nfl concepts i again you paid watson big money i i don't think the future of the browns run game the future of browns football often success which is again a lot of people have asked me this and I've teased it. I wrote that article on what teams can steal, and I've hinted, I've laid breadcrumbs. Like, I think this offense should be very similar to Philly and Cincinnati in a lot of sense. A lot of gun-heavy RPO, inside zone, creative gun run, and you're not relying on Nick. Like, you just – it's not a thing you're doing anymore, guys. Like, you're really not leaning into one running back as your bell cow to take you to a Super Bowl the way it used to be. They need a committee, um, Nick getting the bulk of it, but then committee up and have your quarterback be a part of the run game to balance out numbers. But you're playing with one tight end, three wide receivers, and you're being creative off of those looks. Like that to me is the future of where this should go with Watson. I do not believe in creating more bigger bodies, slower people on the field. It's not the route for me. I see what teams are doing across the league, and this is the answer. Now, until you get a Kyle Juszczyk who's great, but you also, until you have Debo and you have Brandon Ayuk types on your on your outside of them, then I'll entertain it at that point. But the Browns don't have that. They have an older Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and a big question mark after that. I need them to get better there, and I need them to go find um, an offensive scheme that fits around, I think is a really talented O-line 
and a talented running back in Nick that creates advantages from the from the ability to to make their pass game look like their run game without being under center, right? Because I think we're too much relying on the run game to help establish pass. We need to pass to run yep. is my whole thing. And you're paying Watson. You think he's a dude. You think you, everything centers around him and making him a lead again. Every single thing. And if you try to tell me they need to do this, that, and the other with Nick, you don't get it. You're not watching what we watch today. You don't yeah. get it. So we'll get to what that structurally looks like from my perspective later on. But to your point and what the evidence is of this game, hey man, this is it. You want to talk this about is a what team, it looks like, right? You want to talk, yeah. yeah. You want to talk about the other game. You know, if you want to be a team that just runs it all the time, I mean, fifteen for eighty-four touchdown. McCaffrey played his butt off. They couldn't throw. They couldn't throw. Didn't. And I, and again, like I know they physically couldn't throw in the second half of times. But if you're one of those people who are like, I don't care, hand it off. There's mm-hmm. your example. Like there, yep. there's your example. So. Anyway, they need the quarterback's got to drive it, Brad. He's got to be great, and they need to do whatever they need to do to make him great. And I think there are examples of this right now that can that can structurally run with Watson in that in that formula. Yeah, I I think if you watched enough Cincinnati and you watched enough Kansas City, even separate throughout the year, there's a reason these teams are where they are at because they've kind of figured out this balance, right? Of of a way to do it. I did think. I was a little bit surprised that Cincinnati didn't run it a little bit more and maybe got away from it a little too much because there was a stat like early in the third quarter there that I saw where like, I don't know, they were three for seven on third downs and uh, their average third to go was like seven and a half yards. So if you're ending up in in that kind of third and distance all the time, Jake, it seems like maybe you might want to run the ball a little bit more. But It could, but you also could just be running it early, failing. putting yourself yeah. in a failure, and yeah. then maybe doubling up on the run, and you run yeah. twice for, for three yards. We saw that with the breath. I think there's, there's yin and yang, man. Every game's a feel. Every game's a field. You go into it. I think I would imagine, Brad, that the Bengals went into last week's game with Buffalo, not in their in their wildest dreams, imagining they'd be able to run it like that. But sure. then you get into the game and you see how they're playing too high and they're leaving the box vulnerable. And we're just going to run dart. We're going to run different run con- and they killed them. So like, it is game by game dependent. You got to feel it out early. We can. We can't. Do we have a scheme answer on early downs? that can run the ball effective. If we don't, we have to throw it. You know, there are decisions in every non-decision. There's a decision or there, are, there is a message typically that should be coming from that, that they don't believe they can run it to gain some of those advantages. So yeah, I'm with you. Like um, you want to stay out of third and sevens, but the common logic of like, well, they need to run it more. Well, you could be running yourself into those third and sevens too. So it's not an A plus B equals C sort of thing. So tricky there, yeah. tricky. We're going to take a break. We're going to take our one break. And then very fast, we're going to go through and review the D-line. For the sake of your sanity, our sanity, we know one guy played really well and the rest are going to be below average, and we don't really have to dwell on that all too much. But um, we do need to cover everybody and break it down, and we're going to do that. So we'll be right back after our solo break on this episode, cover the D-line. And then the most important part of it, look at the 2023 outlook, because I think that's what everyone wants to talk about. So we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Brad. So if we're looking into D-line, the group was not, you know, it wasn't good enough. And and you're talking about position by position, looking at the group. Um, I think everything sort of starts and ends with Miles Garrett. He had his best graded year. He's actually Pro Football Focus's highest graded player. I I don't know if I would call this Miles best year of his career. I thought there were some times where he grew frustrated with what was going on around him and the product of the defense in general. Sure. I think there were some times where I was a little frustrated with him, but he was frustrated with his group, whatever, whatever. Um, I wouldn't call it his best year, but 92.5 grade defensively is his best mark collectively. 68.6 run defense, which I think we could all agree that's the spot he could get better at. Mm-hmm. Um, that is his, uh, f- looks like his fifth, actually his second lowest of his career run defense grade. Um, to 2019, he had a 63, but other than that, that's his lowest. It's his highest graded pass rush season, which I would agree with. I thought he was really good in pass rush where he had 73 pressures down five in terms of pressures from last year. But last year he had 543 pass rush reps this year, only 490. So you can see why there's a little difference. He had the same number of sacks, 18. He had eight quarterback hits, 47 hurries, three knockdown passes. Uh, run defense-wise, he had 39 stops, which is a career high for him. Um, only four missed tackles, 27 total tackles, two forced fumbles. So you could nitpick Miles here a little bit, man, but he was still above expect. I said this on a, on a pod the other day. A guy cannot be expected to be an all-pro. Maybe we're now to the point where we expect a guy to be an all-pro Miles, but I expect Miles to be an elite pro bowler, but expecting all pro is always dangerous. So it's above mm-hmm. expectation for me. So he was great as we expect, but still an above expectation performance because he's an all pro. So like, that's just, again, expecting maybe now we start to do these multiple straight years, three, four straight years of this, but he was, uh, he was still without miles Garrett on this defensive line. Why I said he was the, the MVP of the Browns collective unit. Uh, if they didn't have miles, it would have gone from really bad to like, laughably historic embarrassing bad and like he's he's really good man and like brandon thorne does a great job of breaking down the leverage of sacks the types the quality and he was near the top of that again uh, data put out there about how hard his job is compared to his peers and we hope jim schwartz alleviates some of that i think all of that holds very true he was so good yeah can get better and i think if you see i really brad think if you see a hyper motivated miles on a winning team finally Yep. Um, you, you, again, 2020, he was, he had that little lull and he had the COVID issue that he had dealt with where he, he talked about how bad it impacted. If he gets a full year of health on a good defense and he buys it. Like, I think, man, I mean, he's a defensive player of the year has got to happen at some point for this guy. Um, it's all there waiting for him in my opinion, cause he's, he's so phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you put him in a winning, uh, surroundings. I, I think that. 
uh, you will see his a career year by far. I mean, this probably was his career year, right? Uh, probably you could say that or close to, if not. And um, the, my only complaints with him would have would be off the field. Like he shows up every week and does his job to the the best of the best level. So my only issues with him are are sort of off the field, and they aren't really like issues with him. It's just he's a different cat. So. You can't you can't go 130 miles per hour, brother. I mean, like he can't. Agreed. I I would happen. I would hope to think he learned a massive life lesson there. There with the okay. If you get up close to Miles Garrett, I think you can appreciate this. Now, this is gonna kind of be weird, but you know, I'm covering camp and being near him, and he's like, he doesn't look like he's cut from the same species. When you get no, like, this guy does not. He looks like and David and Joku's similar. Like, I can't believe we have the same type of chromosomes floating around and like people that are these guys, too. There's a level of invincibility with Miles that I think is there. Yep. And um, I love everything about him. But to hear that he's putting himself in the risk of killing himself and potentially others. And I know that you can say, I mean, the roads are slippery. I get it. But like, this isn't an isolated incident with the speeding. He needs to just be smart, man. You're you're you know, you're getting older, brother. Like, you just need to be smart. Um, and, and I hope that there was a lesson learned there for, for him. But again, you talk about, you know, since he was drafted, Owen 16, seven in 2017, yep. they start to climb, they make the playoffs. He finally is in a winning group in 20. Then they regress this. There's a lot as, you, as worn down as you are as a fan at times of what we're going through is, is where I think he can mentally be worn down too. And I saw moments of that this year where I could just tell like, He's tired of this. Like he's growing tired of it. He's now, how old is he, Brad? He's 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 twenty seven. He's a twelve twenty nine yeah. birthday. So he's gonna play all year at twenty seven. And you know he's hitting twenty seven to thirty here. Brad is his prime. Like this is his real, real, real. Not young prime. This is the prime man. And he wants to win now. Like he wants to win now. And I think Brad. I'll cover this later, but if they have a disastrous year next year, and again, I'm just hypothetical out here, I yeah. wouldn't be stunned by a trade request. I really wouldn't because he yeah. wants to win at some point, man. So I hope they put it together for him. You definitely can see it, to your point. Like, you definitely can see the frustration at times. And, and like, to my complaint, along with your point about, like, you know, speeding and stuff, which was irresponsible, and I think he probably has learned his lesson there, at least I hope so. But, like, more so when the – the off the field stuff on the defense was kind of veering off of its road, you know, hypothetical road with finger yeah, pointing and whatnot. Point. Yeah. He had an opportunity to maybe steer that back the right direction as a leader, and he didn't. Instead, he kind of leaned into it all with everybody else and and continued that finger pointing and pointing yeah. blaming of the coach. So that's where also my issue the was. discipline like, too, Brad. He got yeah, there was some the sort of non communication yeah. with he was sick and. He was punished, and then I thought it was really ironic that, like, and again, I w- I wouldn't move my. You couldn't get me to trade Miles for any player in the world in defense, no. including Micah Parsons and Bosa, and like, I'm not moving him. I love him, but these are little things about how does he become the best version of himself for the Browns? Like, he's getting all this credit for how he handled Clowney's comments the week after his discipline, which I agree with. He handled them well, but I'm like, this is the same guy that was just himself disciplined the week before and we're all just mm-hmm. forgetting that so you know i there's and called out listen, joe woods earlier in the year yeah it wasn't a perfect season for him away from the field a really damn good near perfect on field season for him 
And again, too, like, like they could have really used him in Atlanta when he missed yeah. that game because of the car, and they they needed that game. So, again, I think Miles is great, and don't go coming at me on social about this. These are great. The greatest of the great on your team get nitpicked, and these are just little things that I think some self reflection he needs to he needs to understand, and and those are spots he can get better. To your point, though, I think that winning would solve a lot of those issues yeah. for him. Yeah. I would agree, man. I would agree. I, I I should have said before we always start with a breakdown of the unit, the defensive line unit, the collective group. Uh, we forgot to gloss. We glossed over what was the, un, uh, <laughs> the anticipated answer of it was below average, well below average, not anywhere near good enough. So that's what we'll say about that. So we stay uh, correct to formula. We did miles. We have to say Jadevian Clowney. I don't want to spend too much time on him. He clearly. He clearly will not be a part of the organization into the future. Uh, from a year perspective, you can, I mean, to me, Brad, again, you can, we'll, we'll kind of lightning through some of these. He's a below expectation guy for me based on what he, he actually graded out better across the board this year than he did the year previous, but the production wasn't there. Like he had 53 pressures in 21 to 29 pressures in 22, 11 sacks down to three. 10 hits down to two, 32 hurries down to 24, 26 stop tackles down to 15. Um, I'm not entirely sure how that grading works out there. I know some things with sacks and some of that is like dependent on things going in your direction, but the pressure numbers mm-hmm. are the pressure. Numbers. We only had 53 down to 29. I, I mean, I thought Clowney when he was out there was fine, but they're not paying him to just be, yeah, he was fine. They're paying him yeah. $10 million. Like they wanted him to be the, the version of disruption he was the year before. And I think he's a pretty safe below expectation year for him. And yeah, the outlook isn't very strong uh, on him at all returning here. Even though he did leave okay. us 5%, Brad. He was nice enough of him to say uh, that 95% sure he wouldn't be back. You know, I don't know, 5%. Agreed, though. Uh, below average for sure. And, and you know, I, I, you all people, his defenders, the ones that are out there, We'll say, oh, he's so good against the run, though. But I really think that's a product of him kind of having to be able to do that to justify whatever money he's making, right? Because he's not getting to the quarterback. So, yeah, I'm um, two years of Clowney. I think I'm uh, I was probably good before he did the interview. But the second I read that interview uh, sealed the deal for me. We're not going to spend time on the following edges. Isaac Rochelle, Sam Kamara. Um, those two will not be discussed. The other three edges who matter to the season, Alex Wright played 17 games, mm-hmm. 317 pass, uh, or sorry, 311 pass rush snaps. He graded out a 47.1. Now they moved him around. They did some different things with him. Um, you know, his he had he had really solid game grades against Carolina in the opener, Houston week 13 and 18 uh, week 18 against Pittsburgh, but. It, it was a really poorly graded season for him. He had a 38.4 graded collectively on defense, 37.2 in run defense, and a 47.1 pass rush. He only created 12 pressures on the season, no sacks, no quarterback hits, just 12 hurries. He did knock down five throws, which is encouraging, uh, but he had 18 tackles and a whopping miss, uh, eight missed tackles, which is a 22% missed tackle rate, um, eight stop tackles. He moved around, like I said, he moved outside in. So he was over the tackle or or inside for 105 snaps, outside for 423. 
I need to see Alex Wright. And again, we're kind of going to tie our 2023 outlook into the evaluation of these guys, Brad. I need to see him with a new D line coach and a new uh, refreshed mm-hmm. approach here. I hate, I'm hesitant to say for a, a late third round guy that he was below expectation. I thought he was okay. I think he's on the fringe of uh, where I would expect a rookie to perform. Um, I could I could be swayed below, uh, but I thought he was okay when he was out there. But the pressure is picking up. I, I don't know how highly they think of him to if they want him to be the second guy. That's nerve wracking. I don't think he's ready for that role. I'd like to still keep his role versatile and grab another edge in some capacity, but. I see bits and pieces of his game I like. I need to see more hand use. I see. I certainly need to see him play with more ferocity, and especially edge setting was disappointing for him this year. But I still think he's a good football player that can be molded into something more. He's very young. He's he's just twenty, a shade over twenty two. He's September fifth birthday, so he'll play twenty two into twenty three years of age this year. He's very young. I, I like him. I think he can be something. But it was a very much rookie level type of season that I think I could be talked into below average, but I think he was sort of okay. He was sort of okay, and uh, but he's going to be expected more next year. Yeah, I would – listen, I agree with you about his future prospects. The, the, thing, the reason I would say below average is just because even when guys have like a performance like this, like I mm-hmm. didn't see him flash enough. Like, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Like flashy plays of like, dang, look at that move, how he got to the quarterback or – there wasn't enough of that that like I was like that's really promising. I mm-hmm. did think, and I've told you this before, that I th- I was in- more intrigued by the work that he did when they kicked him inside. I thought he was pretty good in there. So yeah, well, he's um, you know, we're looking at we're certainly looking at what the future is of what Schwartz wants to do, and you're you're drawn yeah. to when I do these mock drafts the size of the edges because they played like Mario Edwards and Danico Autry outside, like. They were big bodies playing edge. Now, I think Wright can be talked into this offseason of getting up to 275, 280. He's a big dude. Like him next to Miles, he's as big or yeah. bigger than Miles. Like he's a big guy. So can they work on getting him fundamentally stronger, bigger, put on good weight and get up to that 280 range and be that rundown edge defender? We'll see. I'm interested and compelled by that. I, I certainly see your stance on you want to see more flash. He had some run game flashes here and there. Not mm-hmm. enough in the past game to feel really, really good about going into next year. But again, young, twenty-two into twenty-three, moldable um, works. He's a roster lock to me at this point. He'll be back um, for sure. So we'll see. Chase Winovich is next. He played one hundred and two pass rush snaps this year. He only played in, uh, you know, if you take out the Buffalo game, he only played nine snaps. He only played in really six games of meaningful snaps. He had a sixty-one point one defense grade, sixty-nine point five run defense. He had 11, I mean, again, he had 102 pass rush snaps, which is well below his first two New England years. And then uh, last year when he was hurt and kind of fell out of favor there, he had 74. Um, he had like 50 more snaps collectively in run defense and pass this year than he did in New England. Um, he had 11 pressures, a sack, two hits, eight hurries. He had 15 tackles, 12 stop tackles. I'm interested in Winovich. I mean, I, especially if he's, he was at expectation for me. I didn't ha- I didn't even know if he'd make the roster. I mean, it was just like, hey, we need to get rid of Mac. Um, you know, yeah, we need to get rid of this linebacker, trade. you know, yeah. player for player. Maybe we can pop Winovich in and he really finds success here. He had moments at the end of the season, like he was really good in week 18 where he had four pressures. He had a sack and a pressure against Washington. I thought he he looked and again, he started the that week two game against the Jets. He had he had a couple quarterback hits in a hurry. Like he 
he had moments, but he was dealing with the injury. And like, it feels mm-hmm. like in 21, he was dealing with injury. So that's certainly something to monitor. I mean, if he's like a one year vet men, like I, I can see it possibly, but I don't, I don't know that he's going to be here next year, depending on a lot of moves they make. But I think he was like, again, at the very bottom of the meets expectation for what I was expecting him to be. That's why I would say there, maybe people thought more and certainly below expectation grade would be, um, you know, acceptable too. No, I tend to agree with you there. I mean, when you account for his injury time, right. And time missed, then I would say, you know, if you account for that and say, okay, you know, that's what it is, what it was when he played, he was to meet expectation. I didn't have great expectations for him, but he did, you know, flash at times and do some good things. I, I don't know how he fits into what Schwartz wants to do at all. Yeah, me neither, especially his size and frame and all of that. Right. The exactly. other guy who does have some size frame things I think can work is Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. He's the last edge we're going to look at. Seventh round uh, pick, 224 last year. 24 years old. He just turned 24 on the 3rd of December, so he'll play the entire year at 24. Still young. 6'5", 266. Can he bump up his weight a little bit? We'll see. Had two stellar graded games uh, at Baltimore in the Cincinnati game. The weird Browns dominating Cincinnati game week eight, the October 31st Halloween game. He had a, a really bad, poorly graded game at Cincinnati week 14. That stands out from that side. But again, for a seventh round pick, played 162 snaps, 88 run defense, 74 pass rush, 50s along the line here for what his grades were. But he had eight pressures, a sack, a hurry, six, uh, sorry, a sack and a hit, six hurries, knocked down two throws. Only four tackles, but three stop tackles of those four. That's an above expectation. Now, if a seventh round pick makes a roster, let alone finds a way into eight pressures, yeah, you know, a sack, and he had that sack, that, that, that sack against Cincinnati that he had. I remember thinking, like, I think he hit a spin move, or maybe he hit a euro. I can't remember what it, it was. was a that, really nice. Talk about move, flashes. Yeah. I was like, I thought that was miles. Like, I think he did mm-hmm. a dip rip. Like, there's something there. I don't know if it's something they can consistently pull out of him. I know he dealt with a lot of injuries too this last year. But he had some moments, and like again, if you're getting a roster spot, let alone putting up some sort of impact, um, that's a big win, and that's an above expectation outcome for me. But now the expectations pick up for Isaiah, and we'll see if he's able to meet him. But I, I liked some of what I saw, and I thought that that's a fair, fair number. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely above expectation. And the only thing I was disappointed with is that he got he didn't, you know, they left him on the. Uh inactive list a few times down the stretch i would have liked to see more of him actually yeah yeah me too i would i would have liked to have seen more i don't know if there again if there was something playing into that a little bit i'm not entirely sure but it felt like it was him and winovich switching in and out in and on and off that list so when winovich got healthy it felt like thomas was the odd guy out could have just been who practiced better that week too sometimes it's dependent upon that stuff so we're looking at the defensive tackles now and um I think we could all agree this is an oasis. This is a the one of the <laughs> biggest singular position group problems in the NFL. That's we'll leave it at that. It's bad. Um, it starts with Taven Bryan, who had a collective grade this year of 60. Actually, better marks this year than last year. He played 642 snaps, which is a career high for him. Uh, never cracked above 511 in his Jacksonville years. Uh, he actually put together his second best pressure season. His four sacks were a career high. Two hits, 17 hurries. Those are all. Uh, the 17 hurries are a career high. He knocked down his first NFL pass. He had 11 tackles in run game, which is it's a big problem. Uh, 12 mm-hmm. assists, four missed tackles. He had 10 stops. Um, 
again, this t- so I think the defensive room was bad and I, I D line D tackle specifically, but what are your expectations for these guys? That's the thing. Cause I could say most of them, I could say based on what I thought of them, they met my expectation because I kind of thought they were shitty and they played shitty, but that's not fair for like, if this is a historically bad run defense, these guys take a majority of the blame. I gotta, I gotta say pretty much between Taven, Jordan, Perry on Tommy, they're all below togi either all below expectation even though i still think you could make a reasonable argument for like well they're shitty and they played shitty and you know i always think of the major league uh the intro yeah. major league where the guys in the where the uh grounds crews working and like they're all shitty <laughs> anyway like they're they're bad right so you're expecting them to not be bad is you that's a you problem right but anyway um great games that were graded really strongly from Taven down the stretch he put together some nice performances houston cincinnati above 70 71 78 had a 65 grade against New Orleans and then had a 90 against Washington and then and uh 73 uh against Pittsburgh. So um again, I don't if he's cheap, I could see them maybe bringing him back another year to be a rotational mm-hmm. guy instead of an anchoring guy here. I could be talked into that cuz I do think he started to play better by the end of the year, but if this is the forefront of your room, that's a massive issue. He is a rotational 300 to 450 snaps type of defensive tackle nothing more nothing less some decent pass rush stuff he put together at the end of the year but he is so easily manipulated in the run game that it is a uh such a liability such a liability yeah it's so weird to evaluate these guys to to your point right like because it's probably not didn't meet expect expectations because it was so bad but you know when they brought him in it's not like i was like oh you know great uh it was like oh it's a kind of a flyer right or you know maybe maybe this guy can turn it around change the scenery you know he was a first round pick at at one point right but like uh it's a it's just like a high upside chance so if that's your level of expectation then he kind of met expectations because he was just yeah yeah the the word uh Defining the words and what you expected is more of the exercise because they they collectively were really bad. So it's hard to say that like right. you know they were we were expecting them to be bad. Jordan Elliott's next. Um, I have a hard. It's it's going to a dark place for Jordan Elliott and and I yep. I thought this when John Stephenson and I analyzed him coming out of Missouri. We didn't like him that much. Pro Football Focus loved him. Mm-hmm. We didn't like him all too much. <clears throat> he played. So the last two years he played three fifty and four hundred and sixty four snaps, which is the max of where he should be. He played 703 this year. He grades in the forties in total defense grade, 33 run defense, 30.4 tackles, 59.0 pass rush grade. So 18 hurries, two sacks, one hit 21 pressures, which are by far his most. He was it's the most success he's had rushing the passer, which is still sad uh, for that many snaps, but like he was more efficient than previous versions of him. 25 tackles, 18 stop tackles, I don't know again, man. Like again, if he's your fourth defensive tackle as he's been sometimes, he's got another year on his rookie deal, I believe. You can talk me into that. I mean, I think Taven and Jordan are gonna be the leaders in the clubhouse to be back. That's actually probably false because Perion and Tommy. What we're hoping is they go get two defensive tackles that matter, right? Yes. And if they go yeah. get two, Perion's a rookie who's you know flashed a little bit longer. I think Tommy Togi, I will talk about in a second, is done. Like, I just don't see it, period. It certainly feels to me like Jordan Elliott has one more year in Cleveland, a chance, but is a highly volatile cut in the preseason type. 
Same for Tommy Togiai, who both those guys are on rookie contracts. I don't know if they want to bring Taven Bryan back. I, I certainly wouldn't give him very much money if I did because he doesn't justify it. So you can see the flux that this group is in. I mean, Elliott had two decent graded games in the uh, over the last, I don't know, six weeks. He had three games above a 60 grade, 66.4, 66.6, and 66.6 again the following week against Pittsburgh. So I don't know. Got, I guess collectively the defense got a little better at the end of the year, and Taven started to perform better. Jordan started to perform better. But they're, the peak of what those guys are, not going to Jordan Elliott was below what I expected. I thought he would get better. There was some preseason hype around him. They're talking him up and mm-hmm. he just is, he's lost. He doesn't, he doesn't anchor double teams. He pursues, takes himself out of plays upfield. Taven Bryan's guilty of that too, where they just are shooting a gap, but not understanding that when you shoot a gap, you have to then re-anchor and get down the line. They'll just run upfield like, like literally like JV high school football kids at times right taking themselves out of plays yeah. and like, it's just a really frustrating, and I'm not going to spend much more thought on Jordan Elliott. Maybe he's here for another year, and they think he's got some late-down pass rush juice or something, but I don't want him seeing meaningful snaps, and I'm, yeah. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I there. mean, uh, you, you said you did some work on him, and you didn't like what you saw. Like, I, I didn't do that work on him, but just going off of, like, analysis that was generalized, like, it seemed like give this guy a couple years, he's a little bit of a project, and it felt like we've given him a couple years, and he's definitely underwhelmed and not performed. So it's not meet, did not meet expectations by far for me. Yeah, same for Perry on Winfrey, who, who, again, this was probably the byproduct of one preseason interview. Uh, yeah. post draft where people fell in love oh. with him but i was like you got to pump the brakes man and and it, it was the grading was rough he had 342 snaps a 41.6 defensive grade the run defense he certainly looked like a guy who played one gap at oklahoma and shot a gap he had no clue how to anchor split double teams and was just being killed at times throughout the year late season i guess he had some better pass rush moments he did have two sacks taken away from him on penalties a couple mm-hmm. flashes but the, the game grades from week 15 to 18 were all in the 40s. For the year, he had seven total pressures, one sack, one hit, five hurries, two batted, two batted passes, 14 tackles, eight stop tackles. I, I don't know. I, he'll be here. He'll get another year to run it. But I'm not like – I didn't see some fantastic thing from him that says, ah, I see where it's going. You know, I can see it. Also don't like that. He's very aware of social media, blocking people, and like yep. can't take any criticism. But clearly, the criticism from coaching impacted him this year. Suspended a couple times, had some off-field issues, given interviews yep. about how he's trying to turn himself around. Like, not a bunch of really good signs. So he was below what I think. Even though I had low expectations, he checks in on the below expectation tier for me. Yeah, same. And you know, um, a lot of. There's some narratives out there from depending on who you listen to and watch that like he came on really strong at the end of the year, but I didn't see it as much as other people are saying. No, no. Um, he put so. together some nice moves. A couple like he he had a sack taken away week eighteen and week seventeen <clears throat> yeah. that were nice efforts. And you want to you know I know you're talking about with Alex Wright like some flashes here and there. You want to see that those are good, yeah. but there's so much more you need to see from him to play the position and totality of the way it needs to be played. I think you can find some places around town where they will have him written in as 
you're starting one of your starting interior yeah. defensive linemen next year, and That's I am dangerous. nowhere near doing that, Jake. No, I think we're talking about everyone we're talking about here is like, can they be your third or fourth guy? Like that's right. what we're doing. Yeah. We believe that either via drafting, which is a dicey proposition because you only have pick forty-two is the highest number you have unless you do the unthinkable, which is straight up. You're either and again, D tackles hard to come in and play early. Like yeah. Jordan Davis and, was the early pick, and he's he had a nice moments this year and a nice stretch, but he was beat up and you know, like it's just hard. So to me. A veteran, a couple veteran D tackles. Like I know Deron Payne. L- let's save that. We'll finish up here. Tommy Togiai for the year. I, I'm not a fan. I'm just. I'm good. I've seen. I've seen enough. Undersized, bullied around. He's two straight years in the 30s for grades. His run defense went down a tier this year. He had three pressures and 90 pass rushes for. A, he had a sack and uh, who did he have? He had a sack in the opener. A couple hits. He had six total run tackles on the year. Um, uh, six stop tack. I just, he doesn't look like an NFL player to me, man. He he's another guy who's got all of the worst qualities of what we want these guys to be, and on top of just being undersized and moved around too often, like I don't see it with Tommy Togiai at all. To the point where I don't think he's on the roster next year. So, um, I'll leave it at that. Below expectation, but certainly for what I thought he was, he's kind of what I expected him to be, which isn't very good. Yeah, below he'll be in camp, but. It would take a big shocker surprise for me to see him being around next year. Yeah. On the two other guys. Yeah. Agreed, man. Two other guys. Roderick Perry played week 10 and week 17. He played 25 defensive snaps, 15 pass rush snaps. He's a UDFA, 6'1, 304 out of uh, Illinois. He had a couple pressures, a couple tackles, one stop tackle. I don't have much to say. I mean, UDFA finds the field, I guess, above expectation for what. You would expect there, but nothing that moved the needle to make me even think twice about him being a part of this next year. Maybe they love him. I don't know. Schwartz could come in and have different opinions of these guys, have ways to make them better, but this is just how I feel in this group now. And then Ben Stilley, who they claimed, um, or it just might be pronounced Ben Still. I never really analyzed that. I should have gotten to the bottom of it. He has an E. It's still, as you traditionally spelled, but with an E on the end. So I've still. said Stilly. Style. It could just be Still. I don't know. Came in from the Dolphins after the Browns went to Miami and got the shit kicked out of him he was claimed from miami's practice squad the following week played 75 snaps the rest of the year 44 run defense uh 31 pass rush he had four pressures um a quarterback hit three hurries uh he had two tackles uh, on the year a couple stop tackles and you know he was out there and he had a couple moments here and there and just another guy you know filling the spot i don't know again i <laughs> I'm not an expert expert on defensive tackle play. I thought again he was relatively okay when he was out there. He graded fine. Yeah, uh, 60s like and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I we'll I see. see we'll see what Schwartz sees, and I hope that they reshape this room and the Roderick Perrys and Ben Still and Tommy Togi. I don't matter much, but um, he was fine. He was as expected, I guess, or a little above uh, is fair, but. Listen, man, we'll close with like the 23 general outlook. I, I think a lot of people want them to go get a, a Daron Payne type. To me, Payne is going to demand a lot of money, and I'm nervous about it. Like if you look at Daron Payne's career, uh, you can see why he hasn't been given a long-term deal. He has been yeah. um, inconsistent. He, he's, he's had grades. And even this year, I mean, again, interior pro football focus grades are sometimes – even D-line across the board can be a little dicey, but – he had a 58 grade um, on, on 907 snaps. That's a lot of volume, but the run defense grade was bad. Um, 
according to them. And the pass rush stuff was better. He had 49 pressures, 12 sacks, 10 hits, 27 hurries. We'd love to see that. Now, that's two straight years of high-volume pressure numbers. Gotten better almost every year of his career. He can get after the quarterback. 40 tackles, 45 stop tackles. So if you include sacks inside that, that's why you get more number than sheer stop tackles than sheer tackles. But, like, I mean, would I be mad if they signed Dayron Payne? No. I, I think he'd be good player here. He's certainly not the answer people think he is by himself. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I would prefer that they go after multiple Draymond Jones types. Like there's a lot of, I think guys that you can get on the market that are, you want to like, again, this isn't a one player away interior defense group. Like this is a multiple players away situation to where we should want them to go sign like an Arden key. If they can, that type of player, can they go out and sign a couple defensive tackles? Could they get Draymond Jones? Can they get, um, you know, another interior guy who's certainly going to matter, like like a David uh, Onyemata. Like, can they go get more? They need more NFL ceiling. Not You're not chasing ceilings right now. They are needing to lift the floor, Brad. So to me, it's Absolutely. a minimum of two defensive, ta- like via the draft or free agency, they have to go get, or trades, I guess, is included, two real defensive tackles that matter, and I would like them to attack edge in some way, shape, or form. That's what I would like. So they're three players away, I think, at the minimum on this defensive line, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, let's, I, I totally agree. Here's where it gets tricky, right? Like, So you've got to get better on the interior defensive line. And since Schwartz comes in, I, I think that you have to pay some attention to edge as well, right? So And, and no more clowny, right? So yeah. um, the tricky part is... You get Chris Jones, Quinn Williams, Ed Oliver, all getting extensions probably done this offseason and the free agency class that comes with it. So all that business getting done this offseason is going to push the market way up on interior defensive line guys. So your pains are going to get like $20 million. Uh, For the the price of Deron Payne, you could get two – uh, on Yamadas or two, like you said, uh, guys that can start on your interior and add an edge. So, I mean, for that makes more sense to me. For that amount of money, go get two starters and a guy that can contribute as either your, you know, two down uh, edge or, you know, three down edge if you're lucky, uh, you know, and then work in your Alex Wrights and uh, probably take a guy off the edge in the draft at some point. And, and then I think you're, you have a, a much better defensive front as a collective. So pro football focus very early in the free agent process here. This stuff will pick up over the next two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, and then it'll really hit the ground running after the Super Bowl. They have uh, Dayron Payne as the 11th best free agent. Um, mm-hmm. If you're looking at interior guys, Dalvin Tomlinson from Minnesota is number 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a nice run stopper. I think the Browns can't ignore that. Draymond Jones is number 20. Um, your highest rated edge is Marcus Davenport out of new Orleans. Um, Zach Allen, uh, for the Cardinals, uh, interior guys, number 23, just quickly scrolling through here. Uh, see if we see anybody else that could matter. And again, I think it's a deep interior, so- uh, defensive line group, free agency, uh, which, which helps. And I think yeah. there are really nice rotational edge players available, as well. And I, again, think that that matters here. Like, you know, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Brandon Graham. Can you make those guys useful? Now, Charles, I'm a minute. Who's got another set of issues that we just found out about this past week, 
but these yeah. are the types. So Sheldon Rankins is an, is a free agent. Yeah. Um, then inside their top fifty, and then number forty-seven is David Onyemata, who we just talked about. It is a nice mixture of good. Like we talk about it with the wide receiver review. There's not much out there outside the draft or trade that could happen. Free agency, you can really, really reshape your defensive line in free agency if you're smart and you gain some ceiling. Sorry, I keep saying ceiling. Basement level raising players. Like if you're talking about six or seven defensive tackles inside their top fifty. And then you're talking about four or five uh, flexible veterans inside that top 52 um, on top of, again, you can, you can always attack a trade market or someone's going to get cut that you don't expect who, yeah. could, who could help too. So that also matters. Like there's um opportunity here. And I think it's a nice mesh of huge need and what the Browns um, should find to be a nice supply of players that can help there. And, and I think that's the way you have to get better in the mode they're in too, Jake, like you can't, to your point earlier, it takes it's hard to hit even high in the draft. It's hard to hit on an interior defensive lineman or an edge and have them come in and, and uh, be productive right away. So you know, free agency trades, veterans that will make this room better immediately. Known commodities, I think, is the way to go about this. Yeah, let's look at it real quick before we split. If we look at draft year, let's look at how rookies performed in the twenty twenty two interior group. Highest graded player. And again, we don't want to do like no snaps. So we're going to do 20% of, of uh, 1022 snaps. So this isn't like the big time snap count guys, but they're enough. Like the highest, <laughs> the highest snap count number from a defensive tackle this past year as a rookie from the 2022 class, 423. So I'm sorry, 435. There are two guys who graded out right at 70 or above Devonte Wyatt, Jordan Davis. You yeah. can do the math here. Both of those were first round guys. Devonte Wyatt was taken round one, pick 28 Jordan Davis round one, pick 13. Other than that, two other guys, Matt Henning and Travis Jones also above 60 on the fringe Jones round three, pick 76, who we liked possible we to did. take him. But again, surrounded by a lot of talent, a lot of talent on that Baltimore defensive line. And then Matt Henningson was around six guys. So you can potentially find them. But again, those are guys getting Travis Jones had 340 snaps. Matt Henningson had 230 snaps. They're not anchoring a group. They're really not going to be high volume guys. Yeah. Yeah. So other than that, outside of those four, everybody else below 50, three guys below 40. So, you know, Perry on Winfrey's in that group. Logan Hall. We loved Logan Hall. I did 36.4 collective grade on the year. So, again, it's dicey. Now, a place I think you can get better earlier results are edge guys. So edge guys in this past class, you're talking about 10 guys over 60 grades. So those guys can come in and be a little bit more of an impact. Now, again, your highest guys are – but let's say this again, Brad. If you filter it by playing 50% of 1,082 snaps, there's only six guys one of which was Alex Wright. Okay, here's your other guys who played a lot of snaps. Aiden Hutchinson played 953. Good grade, great player, early pick. Kayvon Thibodeau, early player, picked, right? Good player, early. Trevon Walker, George Karloftis, Dominique Robinson. Now, Dominique Robinson didn't grade well. Alex Wright didn't grade well. George Karloftis, who I like, also didn't grade very well. But Karloftis is like your example of a guy. But he went round one, pick 30. So... It's just hard to sit here and say we're going to reshape everything about our defensive line and we're going to just draft one of those. That's 
brother, you they got to go get Risky. rotational dudes in yep. free agency or trade. It's just it's the results are not there. So you need to go and again, you can find a guy who can be down the line. You're not we're not saying don't invest in these positions in the draft, but expecting them to come in to be a win now scenario. This is why I think the Browns are going to be aggressive as hell in free agency signing bodies to play on the D line. Like they need to go get guys that matter. Not that they're the home run Daron Payne types, which again though I'd be fine if they did. They need more, 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 and um, just wanted need- to give folks some perspective on on rookie edge and DN performance to say like, oh, yeah. we'll just draft BJ Ojolari, or we'll just draft. And I think it's a, I think it's a great draft at pick forty two to get an edge. There are some. I've been doing all these mocks, man. There are some hyper talented. This again, I, I, like from looking at stuff with this draft, there are some fun wide receivers at forty two, some fun defensive ends. Some defensive tackles, right? Some, but those three positions, you can get a player at 42, but what do you expect from that player? I'm more inclined to think you get a wide receiver at 42. They can be a dude that can help you. I'd be more, I'd be, I would feel more optimism about a second round wide receiver. We've seen him Christian Watson last year. There's examples of this guys can come in the second rounders and find success. You know, Pickens was really good. Um, the D-line, though, stuff is dicey, but I do think you can still get a talented, really talented player at 42, but I want us to all understand that this learning curve for rookies is steep, man, and then that's that's the challenge here, and we'll see if they can navigate it, but they have to be active in free agency and trades, Brad, really active. Yeah, it's about what you expect from the guy. Like the mock that I did for your article, I went wide receiver and then edge, right? And um I think it's what you expect of that edge. I think you definitely, like, to your point, you have to invest in these positions because, you know, at some point it'd be great to have somebody that can contribute on on a rookie deal, right, that's just going to help with roster construction. Mm -hmm. But for this year, your expectation for whatever guy you take, whether it be 42 or whatever, and and say you want them to be a part of this defensive line, uh, it better be in a, you know, uh, a tertiary or fourth uh person role uh better be your highest expectation of them and anything above that is a bonus completely agree and that's what we're trying to give you perspective on what they could be not that we're defining the ceiling for them they could come and have a great year whatever whatever but you just never you never know and you want to look at like what's the history tell you about that and so we need them to be active and go get some 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 basement or floor raisers to get that group to a respectable level, especially defensive line. I really like uh, defensive tackle. I should say, I really like some of the edges that they could come in and get who could play in the draft at 42. But again, that's what we're going to be doing with the next three months is looking at here's what they did in free agency. Here's who they kept from the roster. And here's a draft based off of that. So you guys can get some perspective on what that all looks like, right? What that all looks like. So that you know all these scenarios, so you know what to expect going into the draft. So we'll try to do. So again, fun stuff between the a, the championship games. Um, you know, between this this D line uh, discussion, what it was and what it will be. Brad, good good stuff overall, man. And we'll have a lot of fun stuff for you guys coming in the next, you know, the next uh, two weeks here between now and the Super Bowl with the Pro Bowl and all that fun stuff around there too. So good show, Brad. Long one, but but I think a lot of good stuff here, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely appreciate you. All right, guys, that's a wrap. So for All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, for for OBR Film Breakdown, both, again, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and obviously anchors of the OBR, we appreciate you guys being here. Have a great Monday, man. I hope you won all your bets yesterday. Hit all your parlays and 
my dad said he put in a parfait and I, I couldn't stop laughing. The first thing he said, <laughs> I, I couldn't stop laughing when he said he put in a parfait today. So, you know, he also calls Chipotle Chipotle and stuff like that. So uh, slip of the tongue there, but it was a pretty funny one. I hope you hit all your parfaits and made some money. Um, all that good stuff that, that comes with uh, Ohio gambling and you're having fun with it. I know I am. It's, it's a nice uh, wrinkle to sports and all that. But anyway, listen, have a great Monday. Appreciate you coming by for Brad, for me. And from the OBR, thanks for stopping by. Check out the website. All that good content going on there every single day. Uh, we'll continue to do that for you. and give you as much Browns content as you possibly need. Have a great Monday, guys. Go Browns. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.